0: staff and for students. Praying God's blessing upon uh, you and, and we're praying for those who are involved not just in public or in private or the Christian school, but those who are homeschooled, those who will be online in some way cyber schooled, all of that. And the first thing that we want to ask uh, uh, is for those who are a staff, whether a teacher or in some way working in a school, if you would just kind of uh, come up here and line up uh, along the front here, uh, we would like to uh, be able to have the ability to see who we're praying for. So if you're involved in school, which means obviously if you're homeschooling, that's you, uh, you are the teacher too. Uh, so uh, come on up if you're, uh, and I know we have a number of school teachers uh, involved in our uh, in our congregation of some of which I am not seeing here today, but we encourage you to come on up, you know, yes, bus drivers, everybody, all, any way, any way that you're involved in helping the school, we just want to recognize, uh, who you are and we want to be praying for you as uh, God's blessing as the school year uh, starts any way that you're involved. And obviously uh, in the next that we want to have is uh, if you are a student, going to be a student this year, and that means from the very youngest to if you're in graduate school or getting your doctorate or whatever it might be, if you're in there, if you would just stand where you are at, if you are going to be a student this year you just stand right where you're at in in that place all right and then what we want to do is in just a few minutes we're going to just pray god's blessing upon you and and parents if or our family members if you're uh a, your child is right there we want you to gather around them and pray for them and obviously we could have them all up here but the reality is uh By you praying for them, it reminds us that you, parents, are the primary teachers of your children, that you, parents, are the primary pastors of your children, and we want you to take a a part of that. Now, we recognize that some of you might be standing, and your parents are all up here. Uh, So uh, we're going to ask that those of you who are around some of those kids who are standing, uh, if you see someone standing and uh, somebody's not standing with them, that you would go ahead and... uh, Join with them and 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 pray with them. Um. Okay, want we'll to make sure everybody's together as we pray. By the way, as we're getting this after the service today there is a special there will be a special surprise for uh, uh, kids and youth out in the lobby for you so uh, special size kids and youth out in the lobby for those of you who are staff the special surprise will be when school starts (laughs) (laughs) now we're going to pray guys going to work in a mighty way let's let's pray together gracious heavenly father we come recognizing That this is a day on this Sunday that you have made and we rejoice and are glad in it. And we know that. We've come to worship you. But you know what? Tomorrow, Monday or Tuesday, whenever school starts for these people, that will be the day you have made as well. And we want to rejoice and be glad in that. Lord, we thank you that whether or not each of those children or the staff here feels like they are ready, you are ready you have a plan and you hold each and every one of those who are here standing in your hand as we begin this school year Lord we recognize that some are excited but some are just anxious some are looking forward to it some are fearful for a multitude of reasons I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you and know that you grab hold of our hand As you say in Isaiah, you grab hold of our hand and you say to us, do not fear, you will help us. So help each to know your peace like a river. Flow upon and through and carry them through this year. We pray that you would help them uh, to not be focused on what they do not have, but what they do have, what you have given. We pray that you would give patience. In this new year to all. And what for some will be a a new process. For some who are here today. It it is a a new school. A a new way of doing school even. Lord we pray. That you will lead through that. That you are concerned. As we seek first your kingdom. And your righteousness. All things will be added to us. Everything that we need. You will take care of. And so we pray. That you would be glorified in all of this in both the staff and the student today lord we pray for those students to adjust to these things that may be different we pray that you would guide them each step of the way that you would provide for them that they you would help them to learn to do well in school to focus on their schoolwork, that you would bring people along their path not only Uh, Family and parents but staff and even other students to help and encourage them And may they be willing to receive that encouragement For all the social interactions that may take place whether it be in their own family or with uh, students and staff We pray that your spirit would lead in love And you would help People to respond and not react That you would keep them from giving in to peer pressure. Instead, submit to you, Lord Jesus, to make wise choices. Help those interactions. Give them the courage to stand up for what they believe and to speak the word of life to others. Ultimately, we pray for that good relationship, uh, respect and compassion that would be there as your protection upon each child through the school year. Would be not just upon them physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually in every way because we know the battle of life will touch all of these areas and that you would deliver them from any false or foolish ideologies, that you would keep them from evil, from harm, that your shield of faith would surround them on all sides. Oftentimes they're told to watch their step. Lord, we pray that you would direct their steps. That as Isaiah 30 says, that they could hear that voice, your voice saying, this is the way walk in it. Whenever they turn to the right or to the left, may it be clear. That you have set a right path for them. Help each student to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid, to not be discouraged. For you, Lord, God will be with them wherever they go as much as we believe and know without a doubt that you are here with us today in this place, you will be with your children, your people, wherever they go, including school and in between. Bless them. Lord, bless the, the staff and the teachers. We pray that you would meet all their needs according to your riches in Jesus' I recognize that some will be parents and homeschoolers, and, and and or directing cyber schooling, maybe for the first time. And Lord, we pray you would enable and empower each of them, give them the extra grace that they need to transition from being their children's uh, school teachers, so to speak, to being uh, the children's parents in the home life. We pray there would be that supernatural peace in the homes. Or that you would ha- allow that to take place in the different schools between staff and parents. Guide the teachers to make wise decisions in each of these school environments. For those who are having to make the decisions, uh, those higher up, so to speak, that are making decisions that affect everybody, give them the wisdom that they need and give everyone patience, not only with the kids and the parents and staff administration, but the perseverance to press through, to not be overwhelmed, but to be overcomers in Christ Jesus, who gives them strength that they need for each day and the task. Lord, I pray that you have called each of these. As much as it may be for some a, a job, it is as well a ministry. They are being set out even from here to those places where they will interact with other people, with, other stu- with the students. Lord, may they recognize this ministry is empowered and can be empowered by you to bring light into a darkness, whatever it might be. And that all that they do and their efforts, even if they can't see it, will never be in vain. Father, finally, we pray for the parents that you would give them wisdom to lead their child through this next school year. Direction, if there's still some needing direction about what to do, but that you give generously a wisdom for all those who lack and as well you enable us to be able to do all things through you gives us strength. Lord, help the parents. Not just to survive this year, but to thrive. And that their children as well would thrive. And there would be that hope. There would be that help from you. Keep them healthy. Grounded in your word. Standing. In your power. That is needed to raise a child in today's world. Help them to create an atmosphere in their home that encourages not only their child's learning, but their child's love of you. Thank you for the wisdom and the temperance they need. Lord, we pray for all that this next school year will be a blessing and not a burden because of you. Bless these, each and every one, for the task that is set before them. I pray that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be evident and growing in all. And that your light would shine through each and every one. In a way that shows you, Jesus. Whether it be within their own home or in the public schools in everything in between. May your light shine as you bless your people. That blessing is meant to be passed on. So we commit them all into your hands. And in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen and amen. Lord bless you all. If you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. And we want to continue to remember to pray for these. Continue to remember praying pray in your homes. If there are things, hopefully you all know, that if there are things that come up and you need prayer, that you can contact us at the church. You can contact me. You can put a prayer request on the prayer chain. Polly is ready at any time. And uh, there are many different ways that we can do this. We want to see God work in a a great way this year, no matter what's going to, how it's going to happen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, holding the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, when, say, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog gather for them for battle, and in number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help. um, In many ways, we read over this and we, we feel like, okay. But if we really read into this, we start having some questions about why and what's going on here. And I pray in some of the things that we cover today that you would help us to to track with you. Did you help me to speak your words? Help uh, as much as I uh, want you to help me to make it clear. Lord, I I know that you need to do a work beyond anything I can say. We can grasp not only what's being said, but what its importance is for today. So move and work as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I was uh, I was reading this week, according to a, a, a new survey from probe ministries, which seems to confirm what other surveys that I've heard about and read about that born again Christians have experiencing has a, have experienced a, as they say, quote, a startling degradation in their Bible beliefs in the past decade. The survey included more than 3,000 in the U.S. between ages of 18 and 55, and it shows that born-again Protestants experienced the greatest level of decline in Bible-based beliefs from 2010 to 2020. During that decade, the percentage of people who agreed with core Christian doctrines fell from 47% to 25%. Although many people still label themselves as born-again Christians, they can have a false view of Jesus Christ and embrace a pluralistic worldview. The drop in Bible based beliefs among young adults went from 15 to 5%. Among U.S. born again Christians between the ages of 18 and 39, more than 60% said that there's more than one way to salvation, including Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed. And not only that, it went on, they, they did not know much about Jesus. Even, let alone knowing Jesus. They've missed the main message of the word of God and the priority of why Jesus came. As it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This, more than 60% would not agree with. Probably most of those 60% probably don't even know this verse exists. But yes, I believe there's a problem. First, you know, and, and, and I know as we get into this, you may seem like, well, this is kind of a basic truth we've already learned. And, and you're going to, you're telling us that that's what this, obviously you're leading this to revelation 20 pastor and talking about salvation but that's it's kind of basic i mean we kind of know that already well obviously not everybody knows it or we wouldn't be at this plate where this survey of those who would call themselves born-again christians are saying this kind of thing this is something god talks about over and over in his word and even so much over and over in his word he talks about it all the way to the very end in revelation 20 we may find it hard to believe, but in the end times, the salvation message will be just as important, if not more so, than it is today. Because in that day, as much as we're saying, and this is just one survey but other services are similar. is As much as we're saying that 60% who say they are Christians, who are a part of all of this and truly believe, 60% are saying Jesus is not necessarily the way or the only way. There will be even less. There will be even more, I guess I should say. There will be even more saying that quite possibly in the millennium when his kingdom comes. Things are going to be better and yet in some ways worse for those who claim to be believers. Here's the thing if we're trying to just boil it down today. We need to grasp the primary importance of salvation now and forever. It's not just about right now and talking about it. You got it and you check it off your list. It is forever. It is a consistent and constant message. We need to grasp. And with this eternal salvation message, there are two key points that we look at that are drawn out of here uh, are, are the application of what we're learning in Revelation chapter 20. And the first point is, in the end, we are still only sinners that need salvation. In the end, we are still only sinners that need salvation. Last week we looked at the exciting news in verse one of chapter twenty. Right, the angel came out holding the hand, and in verse two he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Woohoo! You know, all right, we we got that. It's, it's exciting uh, what took place, but Look at verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. What? I mean, think about. It. actually, there was a hint in verse 3, which we, when we were reading verse 3, it talks about how he was thrown, locked the key, uh, sealed and locked and all that stuff. So it would keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. Satan was not thrown, Satan was thrown into this big abyss and locked up. He was not thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet was. And so some people would be like, what? Why? why? Why didn't just deal with Satan once and for all? Why not finish the fight? Finish him there in verse 2. Finish him. And not only that, why let him loose? I mean, sometimes do we just read this stuff and not actually think? Don't we have questions sometimes? You know, what's going on here? Why let Satan loose? God has a purpose. That if we just do a quick skim over passage like this, we're missing the deeper message, the greater message, which ultimately is the need for salvation, even in the, when thy kingdom comes. And people will still be like, but, but, but he had him locked up. It's not like lockup is going to change the devil when he was set loose he just went back to his old ways after being locked up for a thousand years he went back to what he did when he got put in there to begin with that's his nature look at verse 8 and he will go, we're talking about Satan that was released from prison in verse 8 and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of earth Gog and Magog. To gather them for battle in the number that are like the sands on the seashore. What happened right before Satan got put in the pit? So to speak, in that abyss. He was got people in the big battle, and Jesus comes down riding on the white horse, beats them all, and puts slack Satan up. He had a thousand years in there. And what's he do as soon as he gets out? Hey, I think uh, I ought to start a war with God again. Uh, it's his nature, that who he is, and that's what's going on. And, and it says that he went out and deceived people across the whole world, stirred up a rebellion against Christ. Christ, who had for the thousand years before this, literally reigned on the earth. Note, as it says in verse Eight, it says those gathered with the devil. Numbered the numbers of those who gathered in battle against God, will be like the sands on the seashore. Okay, here's something else. Have you thought about where, who, who are? I mean, that's a lot of people gathering. That's after a thousand years. They're falling. So, where do they come from? What are they doing? Where did this huge army come from? Especially since in chapter 19 you say, and I said, but the Bible says that Jesus came down, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, riding out of heaven with a white horse and all his armies. The sword of his mount, wiped out, soundly defeated everyone against him. All the believers upon this earth done, so that only those who were for Jesus entered the thousand year millennial kingdom those coming into this millennium this thousand years the kingdom of God on earth were only believers the rest were separated out so who is following Satan so many that it's the sands of the seashore because those who entered into the millennium were those who many of those we know who came down with him had already entered into Jesus' presence? They were believers who had already gone through the bema seat judgment. We talked about that. You can look at it in previous messages. Uh, those who had already received their glorified heavenly bodies, they were on the Lord's side forever. You receive your heavenly glorified body. You're good. You're in. Is there's, there's no? You know. You're not going against God. They all entered the thousand year reign with Jesus. His second coming was not just the beginning of the millennium. His second coming was a new beginning for all Christians, for all who are followers of Christ. By the way, just to make this clear, this thousand years, which is the same meaning as a millennium, that those words mean the same, those thousand years, this millennia reign is not heaven yet. All right. We're not talking about heaven it may seem like heaven on earth, but it is that right here on this earth. We're not home yet. Jesus sets his reign before heaven comes. So if only believers are entering the millennium, who ends up on Satan's side? Who gives in to the sin of rebellion against God? And we read about who's there. Look at verses 4 to 6 in our passage here in Revelation 20, I saw the thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There were those who were martyred, who were killed, that were brought to life with new, resurrected, glorified bodies and entered into the kingdom with Jesus, the earthly kingdom with Jesus. There are others as well that were there, and we'll, we'll get into that in the future. Uh, we'll take, take a break uh, from this series in September. There are a number of special things that we're going to be looking at in September. but. It was just sanctified believers in Christ, resurrected, glorified, ready-for-heaven bodies that cannot sin, that entered the millennium. It's not that. We, we miss some of the details. In the millennium kingdom, there are those believers in Christ Jesus who didn't just have glorified bodies, but those who had earthly mortal bodies like us. There are those who will come to faith in Jesus through the tribulation who obviously were on Jesus' side in that last world war, so to speak, the Armageddon thing, and therefore they still, on the earth Christians, will still be alive when Jesus rode down and finished the fight. I want you to think this through. Those Christians who enter the millennium with earthly human mortal bodies we'll end up having human descendants, kids who have kids, earthly mortal human bodies that can still sin because we are in our earthly mortal who we are, our sinners. It is our nature to sin. These are the ones who are entering in. These are the ones who are in need of salvation even in the millennium. The vast majority of these will choose to follow Satan instead of Jesus after a thousand years. Now, some you're still like, what? what? You can still be kind of mean like, ah, okay, uh, where is this? And what, what about these with these carnal human fleshly bodies? How is it possible that flesh and blood Christians make it through the tribulation? Especially when some of you here are, are, are pre-tribulational rapture people, meaning that you believe that Jesus is going to come in the rapture to take up the church before the tribulation takes place. Meaning, Jesus takes all the Christians out of the world and then the tribulation. So how can there be Christians? Because he took them all out. As if you can't become a Christian without another Christian to witness to you. It is our responsibility to witness. It is our responsibility to tell others about Jesus, but we don't save anyone. Only Jesus saves. And the church and Christians completely out of the tribulation doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit is still there, is still here, because the Holy Spirit is God. He And God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He doesn't suddenly cease to exist someplace. He is everywhere. And the Holy Spirit will still be there. And it is the Holy Spirit's conviction that turns us to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who through him redeems us into new life. And somebody, okay, okay, but how are there Christians in the tribulation? You still haven't really said that. I know the Holy Spirit could do it, but first of all, there are a lot of people right now who know Jesus, who know that or about that Jesus is a Savior who came and died on the cross to save us, but they've chosen not to believe, right? How many of you have people in your life that you've shared the good news about Jesus, you've said something to them, and they just have said, I get what you're saying. It's not that I don't understand. I hear you clearly, but that's not for me. Right? So imagine when suddenly all the Christians that they know, the real Christians they know, are gone out of this earth, and the tribulation is happening and things are going bad don't you think they're gonna be a little light bulb going on i think i missed my flight okay i think i missed my flight and maybe they were right in fact things are so get so bad within that period of time it's like I, i i know that I need to turn to Jesus and nobody needs to preach to them. nobody needs to tell them about Jesus because they've already been told. they just need to respond. and ask Jesus in. You see, with that as well, there' still be Bibles, God's Word will still exist somehow some way, just like it does in persecuted countries. There will still probably be Christian books and medias around where people can go different places, but there will also be opportunity that as people come to Christ in the tribulation, they know that they need to tell others, and even at the cost of their own life, they will be sharing the hope and the help that Jesus can bring, and those who know Christ will help others to know them, including the great awakening that is going to take place among the Jews coming to Christ during this time that could have an influence on the salvation not only of other Jews but on Gentiles alike in the tribulation. So it is definitely possible that there are those in the tribulation who will turn to Christ with a wholehearted commitment. In fact, we have already just read that that is possible. There will be Christians in the tribulation. I just read it to you in verse 4. Right? Look back at verse 4. It talks about those who were martyred for their faith, who did not take the mark of the beast wait a minute, when does that take place? You know, the mark of the beast takes place only one time in the tribulation. And so there are Christians, those who will be believers, who do not take the mark, some of which will be martyred, some of which will live through it. There will be mortal flesh and bone Christians who will survive through the end of the tribulation into the beginning of the millennium. And those who enter this wonderful, blessed thousand-year reign with earthly human bodies will marry and have children who have children, and all with sinful natures, just like us. Uh, you know what? We each have sinful natures, those of us who have children. Guess what? Did we any? I mean, maybe at first we thought they were perfect, but... Right? We know, guess what... Uh, you, Sinful parents have sinful children. And quite possibly there will be a lot of children. We think, well, that's not, maybe that won't be a big number at the beginning of the millennium, but you've got a thousand years. And you've got people who are going to be living a lot, lot, lot longer than we are. And you've got people living in a millennium kingdom where there won't be the kind of problems that we're experiencing today with protection and provision and all those kind of things because Jesus is sitting on the throne. Of this world. They won't have to deal with things that shorten their lives. And so there will be plenty of time to get the population up. Where there will be enough human earthly bodies. That could number like the sands on the seashore. Coming in battle with Satan. We talk about this millennium kingdom before. We've talked about this. How many remember when we talked about how the Bible does not say. That the lion will lay down with the lamb. Alright. Now. If you didn't get that, you can go back towards the beginning of the series. The reality is it does not say that, but it does say that two animals, that one is a predator and one is the prey, are going to be together in the same place and there's not going to be any problems. It does talk about that. And we shared that scripture before. Well, in that same scripture, it says the things that I'm telling you right now. In fact, we'll share it. It's going to be on a number of screens uh, before you today. But beginning in Isaiah 65, uh, verses 19 through 25. And uh, it says 18. I think this might be 19. Yes, it shouldn't be 18 on the screen. It should be 19. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. This is speaking about the millennial kingdom. and You'll see as we get into it that it fits with the things we've talked about. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. In the millennium, an infant. You can't have an infant if they're not born. You know, it—it just, it just they don't just show up. All right? <coughs> so they, obviously somebody is born, an infant who lives a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100. So here we are in this millennial time, in this kingdom, and they're living a long time, but they still die. Who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child, 100. Oh, he was so young. In fact, the one who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. Well, let's read on because it will start to become familiar. They will build houses and dwell and they will plant vineyards and eat the fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat, for as the days of the trees so will be the days my people, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, nor will they be a people for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. See, Not the lion and the lamb. It is the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So there you have it. You know, there are those obviously... Who have mortal bodies that will be born, they're infants who live. It, it doesn't happen that it's going to be, they're going to live. They're not just going to uh, die like so oftentimes it can happen in many countries, even within our own. And Isaiah is talking about non-glorified earthly bodies like ours in the millennium. Therefore, we need to realize that in the end, earthly mortal people that will be there are still. Only sinners that need salvation. There's going to be so many. We need to to choose to be for or against Jesus today. Guess what? They're going to make those same choices. Not those who have glorified heavenly bodies, but those who are these. And they're human, what we would say, in that, that mortal bodies. And therefore, God's purpose of letting Satan out, one of God's purposes in letting Satan out for a little while, is to really finish out the final just right judgment before heaven begins. Everyone has to be judged. There are those who have already received their, their... heavenly bodies their new glorified bodies they've already gone through the judgment they're with jesus but there are those who have been born and those who have died those who have been through the millennium who still will be judged and before that that's where satan showing the difference once again that we are sinners apart from jesus once again satan showing the primary importance of salvation and so, someone questioned, how could it be, how could people follow Satan when it's a millennium kingdom? I mean, influenced. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, Satan's not there for a thousand years, so they're not following him, but Jesus is. He's right there. How, how could they give in? I, even if Satan's not there to tempt people, we need to understand that doesn't mean there's no temptation to sin. And we need to stop blaming Satan for everything that we do or bad or say. It's all—it's on our own, and we are responsible on our own. James chapter one, verse fourteen to fifteen. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by, as they say, Satan. What's it say up there? Their own evil desire. I hope that's what it says up there. You guys are like, glassed over here. I'm not sure. But their own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is grown, full grown, gives birth to death. You see, whether Satan is there in the world or not. Doesn't change whether sin is there because sin's in here, and we need to recognize this and our need as sinners. I said before, Jesus is reigning on the throne in that kingdom on earth. It's not heaven yet. So today, not all sin that we commit can be blamed on Satan. It is our flesh. It is our humanness. It is our ten our tendency to sin, it says in Romans 3 that it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And no one who does good, not even one. Even in the millennium where Jesus is seated on the throne, there will still be sinners. The Satan will sift out, so to speak. And bring about sinners that need salvation. That brings us to that second point. In the end, Jesus is still the only savior that is needed for salvation. Satan loose, people will follow him, but they really weren't led away from Jesus by Satan because they never belonged to Jesus to begin with. He was never really their savior. Satan can tempt, Satan can deceive, but he cannot control, he cannot make us do something. And say, the devil made me do it. No. In the end, it's our choice who we're following. To follow Satan? And, And somebody said, well, I'm not following Satan. Well, that's good. But you still have to make a choice of whether you're following Jesus. There are those who blame not just Satan, but their circumstances for the reason that they don't faithfully follow Christ today. Maybe you've heard somebody say that. I just it's, it's too hard. Being a Christian today is just too hard. There's too much temptation. There's too much evil. I, I, my life has way too many trials and tribulations and troubles in my life. I just, it's too much of a struggle to really, truly follow Christ. They say, you know, if, if my life was different, if I didn't have some of the difficulties, it would be no problem to follow Jesus if I had no problems. That's basically what people are thinking. I mean, no problem to follow Jesus if I had no problems. Yet the reality is in the millennium, in the thousand years where Jesus is reigning, Satan, who had been pulling strings, he's out of there. They don't have to deal with him in the millennium, and they don't have to deal with many of the problems and evils that we have to deal with today that we're experiencing in that near-perfect, near-heaven experience in that thousand-year experience kingdom reign of jesus the difficulties will not be there like they are and yet what happened in a place where jesus was seated on the throne of the earth where it is his government going on in a place where we didn't have all this need for provision and protection and all those kind of things you know the lion uh, lion eats uh, the the straw it said the wolf and the lamb are or laying down together kind of thing you know are there there together oh, this, this in this place where it was so good people still turned against Jesus and follow Satan. It's not about your circumstances that is keeping you. It, it's forget all those excuses that we are using that just are just that. Just like today, there are those who have it good, but they take it for granted how, much they, how good they really have. They forget how they got the good, what God does. People reject and turn against God when it was good in the millennium. You can take Satan out, you can take circumstances out, but it doesn't take the sin out of us that we all fall short of the glory of God and what He wants. Our need is that Jesus is the only Savior only way. We're we're not sinners because that's what we do, but because who we are, it's our nature. And we need a Savior, Jesus. Only He can do that. Along these lines, maybe you've heard someone say, well, okay, but when you're saying that I need Jesus to be Savior, I hear what you're saying, I get that, but I'm one of those people that need to see it to believe it. Have you ever heard someone kind of say those kind of things? i got to see it to believe it. In other words, they, they say, I would believe Jesus if I could just see him right here in front of me, in person. If I could just see him doing some great things, if I, if I could just, you know, know and see he's the king, he's really in control. Then I would trust Jesus. Guess what? That's what exactly they have will have in the millennium is Jesus right there in person, in charge, doing it all. And they still will rebel against him. It's still excuses to say, if I just could see it, that's just an excuse. But but, but you know, Satan's, uh, you know, he, he's, he, well, he's not there to stop, but I mean, Jesus is there, reigning. How could they do that? How could they go against Jesus? He's there, he's got it, everything's good. How could they possibly go against that? How could they miss that Jesus is the only Savior that is needed for salvation? And while it may seem hard to believe, think about it for a moment. Satan was in the very presence of Jesus in heaven. And yet he rebelled and took one-third of the angels with him. He was right there. I said, oh, that's Satan, that's not a person. It's an angel. Okay, how about Judas? Walked with Jesus. Heard Jesus teach, saw Jesus do miracles right there, everything about it. And yet Judas turned on Jesus. How about one more example? In the beginning, the perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, everything that God wanted, everything was good, everything was right, and God was right there with Adam and Eve in person. Walked with them. And yet they chose not to trust in the Lord, but to rebel against him. So it is not hard to believe that people who are going to be born in the millennium when Jesus is reigning will somehow turn against him. It's what was and it's what's going to continue to be until we recognize that we as sinners need Jesus as Savior. I know obviously we see Jesus more and more and, and are wondering how people could do that, but uh, uh, they surely they see him, they believe. Yeah, our problem is the way we define believe. They believe Jesus is right there. They believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus is the king of that world. But here's the thing. You believe, James 2.19 says, "In God God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons aren't saved. They're not going to be saved, but they believe. They believe the facts. The problem is the faith they don't have. And that's the problem that will be in the millennium, and that is the problem that is today. People who know all the facts would agree with the facts and not even, even argue about it, but have not made that step they have the faith. Those who know about him but do not know him. Sitting in our churches today. Have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Just like in the millennium. Do not know. See, It's not just enough to know about Jesus. You have to know him in a personal vital relationship. That's what Jesus says in John 17 3. This is eternal life. What is it about How mean eternal life? That is that you know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is what salvation is about. But understand, as often happens, the people who started in the millennium, the Christians who had mortal bodies, who started in that millennium, were all out for Jesus because you had no choice when you go through the tribulation. You were either for or against. I mean, you made the choice. But as it happens, generation after generation gets farther and farther away from God. Unless we do something about that. We need to recognize. I know some still are struggling with all of this. to think of how, in part, you know, thinking why did they turn against Christ in the end? The problem is not that they turned against Christ. They never turned to Christ. This godly kingdom ruled by Jesus, and yet they themselves were not ruled by Jesus. They had not surrendered to his rule in their hearts and their life. They were living in the kingdom of God on earth, but they were also living in the kingdom of darkness. Salvation is so important. It's important now. It's not something we should stop talking about. It's not something that we should forget, not only because apparently people are just going whichever way they want within the church, but people even within the church can recognize, just like those in the millennium miss it, that we are sinners and there is only one Savior, the one who tells us very clearly. Right here in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for those wherever they may be at today, those who are here, those who are listening, to know where they are at with you. There are those who, like probably hap- is going to happen in the millennium, have have, have a religion Yes, they believe in their heads with Jesus. It's all the facts. It's all true. But they're missing the faith. They're missing the trust in you, the following you as the one who is the boss, the master. Lord, help us to hold on to the priority of salvation, not just day we made some decision, but throughout our lives, salvation continues. The importance of it now and forever and to share it. Father, I pray for any here today that need to make that decision, that need to step across that line that they know, they know, they know. And even as you're speaking perhaps to them right now, trying to break through, to surrender to you, recognizing their need. Help us to pray, to acknowledge, Lord, that we have sinned and that sin separates us from you forever and that we need your forgiveness. For what you did on the cross, we need not just the forgiveness, but we need you to be the Savior of our life, to save us. And we thank you for what you did on that cross for us. You died and you rose again. And that sacrifice made the way for us to have a right relationship with you. Lord, come into our lives, take control, we surrender. Not just believing with her head, but with all her heart. Trusting you and you alone.